Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I want to begin this morning by telling you about a man named John. John was born in 1725. John was a mess. He worked on a ship. He was hated by his shipmates. He was wild. He was out of control. He was a raging drunk. He was violent. His nickname was the Great Blasphemer. That's what they called him. That's how bad he was. His language, if you've ever heard the expression, he cusses like a sailor, (laughs) may have come from John. In fact, his own captain said about him and his language, not only did he use the worst language I've ever heard, but he created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. (laughs) That's taken cussing to a whole new level, right? Wow. Um, John the blasphemer was so bad and so hated that one time he fell overboard on the ship and instead of throwing flotation devices at him, they threw harpoons, okay? They weren't big fans of John. He he finally pushed his captain. He was so vile, so rebellious, his, his captain couldn't take it anymore and eventually had him stripped down and in front of 350 men flogged in front of all of the men on the ship. That's how bad he was. John decided that day, he vowed that he would eventually kill his captain for that act. Before he could execute his plan, a big storm blew up and it hit the boat and everyone thought they were going to die and here they are in this raging storm, the boat is being tossed about and John is right next to his best friend and the storm was so bad, the wind so high that it caught his friend and threw him, blew him off the boat, never to be seen again. In those moments, John realized he was in great trouble. In the moment of his greatest trial, in his deepest fear, he cried out to God, the God he had blasphemed, the God he hated. Lord, have mercy on us all, he said. When he survived the brutal storm, he suddenly realized that in the midst of great desperation, he had cried out to the one that he had vowed his hatred for all those years. And he started to wonder, is there something there? And so this guy, who was named John Newton, began to read the scripture. And he was transformed by the grace of God, and he put pen to paper in 1772. He wrote the lyrics to one of the most famous hymns of all time, we know the song as Amazing Grace. So the next time you sing that song, I want you to feel the weight of the story of a man known as the great blasphemer who experienced amazing grace of God. In these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. We begin a new series to, today uh, called How Sweet the Sound, and for the next four weeks, we're gonna look at some hymns, some of the great hymns of the church, and see what it is that we can learn from the, the lyrics of the hymns, the, the scriptures that, upon which those hymns were based. And this series will wrap up in May, and then the calendar will change over to June. And then on June 3rd, which is a Friday night, we will have our second hymn night. 
uh, June 3rd, 7 o'clock. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. We did one of these last year. I'm going to bring back Gary Greiser and Evan Dallas uh, to, to do it with us again. I had somebody leave last year after this was over and said, Brett, I think this may be the best thing we've ever done at Cross Lane. Um, just an amazing, amazing night of, of singing the hymns. And I, I just, uh, Gary Greiser is an unbelievable leader of hymns. And uh, Evan Dallas sat at that keyboard last year and tore it up. I mean, he's amazing. I, you, you don't want to miss June 3rd. Mark it on your calendar. Um, I want you to be here and be a part of it. Invite somebody to come with you. I, I saw people weeping last year because they were singing the hymns. And this place was probably more singing than it's ever heard when we were singing those hymns. I stood in the back and just cried, um, just watching our church worship the way it did, and, and uh, just a, a tremendous night. I, I just want to encourage you to invite somebody, come with you, let's fill this place, and let's sing the old hymns. June 3rd with Gary and Evan, 7 o'clock. Today, we're going to talk about amazing grace, and while I'm certainly a big beneficiary of the, of the grace of God, of huge, I'm a huge beneficiary of the grace of God, I, probably as much as anybody on the planet. I need as much of it as anybody. I feel completely inadequate to give the right words and the right um, explanation for the wonderful, amazing thing that is the grace of God. One of the places you read about amazing grace is in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And in chapter 2, if you were to read Ephesians 2, what you notice is that Paul breaks all of the, the grammatical rules of, of writing. He, he he doesn't finish his thoughts. He, he writes these, uh, these run-on sentences. Um, it, it's as if he, he's writing and his, his mind can't keep up, like, or, his, or his, uh, his fingers can't keep up with his mind. All these thoughts are hitting his brain, and he's trying to get them all out. He's trying to get it on paper. He's trying to explain to people, and it's, it's just like he can't get all this out of what he thinks about how good God is and about the amazing grace of God. Um, I want to give you three thoughts this morning that basically capitulize Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, three themes, if you will, just real briefly, and then we're going to hit those throughout the day. Um, the first big theme of the Apostle Paul that he shows us is, he shows us that we were. We were. If you're a, here and you're a follower of Jesus, you are not today what you once were. You were. And, and then he shows us this theme of, but God. You were one thing, but God intervened. And then he shows us how God intervened, and God, God intervened by grace. You were, but God, by grace. You were one thing, and now you're something else if you were in Christ. Because you had a but God moment. And it is not only by the grace of God, not, it's only by the grace of God. It's not by your works, it's not by your performance. Salvation is not performance-based. It's not anything that you've done, it's not how good you are. You were and you are not now because of that but God moment, you have been transformed by grace. So let's start with you were. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been transformed. You are not now 
what you once were. Now you are forgiven. Now you are made new. Now you are transformed. But you were dead in your sins. Verse 3, he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. That's Paul's way of addressing our sinful nature. He's not talking about our skin. He's talking about this this thing, this sinful nature, that, that our nature, apart from God, is sinful. He says, you were living according to the desires of your flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. If you are without Christ, you are dead in your sins and scripture says you are deserving wrath. Scripture refers to us as enemies of God because of our sin nature. Now I get it. I realize in our culture, I'm not supposed to talk like that. I understand how this doesn't hit the ears and tickle the ears, that nobody wants to hear that they're sinful. Nobody, like, you know, especially people that don't go to church, they don't like preachers like me talking about sin and sinful things. It's not popular. People want to push back and they want to say things like, Brett, you have no right to call me a sinner. I'm not a bad person, I have a good heart. I'm not nearly as bad as other people. I'm a good person. Well, I hate to break it to you, but you're a bad person. (laughs) So am I. We have been born, and by nature we are sinners. We are the sons and daughters of sinners who are the sons and daughters of sinners. And you can follow that train all the way back to Adam and Eve, who were the original sinners. By nature we are not good. By nature we are deserving of wrath. Some of you right now might really be struggling with what I'm saying. So let me, let's just play a game, shall we? Let's play a game. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, if this is true of you, I'd like for you to raise your hand, okay? just going to ask you to raise your hand. Keep your hand up when it goes up. Just keep it up. How many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Get, get them up. Hold them up. Okay, now, I want you to look around, and if your neighbor does not have their hand in the air, I want you to look at him and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because <laughs> we've all done that, right? We've all lied. We've all misrepresented the truth in one form or another. We've all done that. We've all told lies. Next question's not as much fun. I want to challenge you, though. We're in church. Tell the truth. How many of you have ever stolen something? Raise your hand. Okay, you can put your hands down. Let me help you answer that question if you're on the fence about whether or not you've ever stolen anything. Have you ever taken something from work? A pen, some paper, some paper clips. They're not going to miss these. They got a whole closet full of this stuff. I need some of these at home. They don't pay me enough anyway. I'm taking some of these paper clips. Daggone it. Right? That's how that works. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe, maybe. How many of you have ever stolen a parking place? You knew that dude was waiting on it, but I need that parking place, daggone it. That's not getting you? Okay, let's go to Costco or Sam's. They're handing out those samples. You ever acted like you were a different person coming by for a second? Like, that pecan pie looks pretty good. I think I'll have another slice of that. Still don't have you? Okay. How many of you ever signed up for the 13 CDs for one penny and didn't fulfill your contract? 
See, somewhere along the line, we, we've taken something that didn't belong to us. I'm just saying. Now, the third question, I don't want you to raise your hand, okay? Because I, I I'm not trying to start a fight. I certainly, on Mother's Day, don't want to break up a marriage. If, if you want to respond to this, you can just give me a raised eyebrow, okay? Or, or, you know, the commercial that's out now where she says, if you're in trouble, blink twice. You know, you can do that. You can blink at me. Or maybe you don't want to do that. If you, guys, if you just want to just, just throw me the pinky, right? Like, yeah, that, that, yeah that's me. That describes me. Okay, so, so here's the question. Third question. How many of you have ever lusted? Right? It's, it's going on all over the room. If you've ever lusted, this is what Jesus said. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look at someone with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. We're in trouble. So if you've told a lie or you've stolen or you've lusted, what does that make you? Let me help you. Let, let me just say what you are. It makes you a lying, thieving adulterer. Welcome to Cross Lane. My name is Brett. I'm your friend. I'm here to help, okay? We just want you to feel good about yourself. Why am I hammering this so hard? We need to understand that guilt because that is where grace begins. That is the starting point for grace is the point where you realize, I really do need God. In other words, we don't see ourselves as sinners, and when we don't see ourselves as sinners, we do not see ourselves in need of a Savior. And the good news about Jesus is Jesus did not come for righteous people. Jesus said that. He said, I came, I came for sinners. He didn't come for those who were healthy. Jesus came for those who were sick. If you don't see the church as a hospital, you don't see the church as the right right in the right light you can sit back and you can polish your halo all day long if you want to i'm just telling you jesus came for those of us who are sinners which is all of us broken hurting in need of spiritual cleansing we need him he came to set sinners free that is why paul says you were and then he says but god you were but god Let's just stop and think about Paul's life for a few minutes. Paul may not have cussed like a sailor. In fact, I doubt he did. He was a good Pharisee. He was a religious man. Although, after he comes to Jesus, it's interesting, there's a place in Scripture where he uses the word skubalon in Greek. In Greek, the word skubalon is basically the word for BS, if I were to say it out loud. Which, once in a while, that's a pretty well-placed word. <laughs> and Paul used it. So maybe, you know, who knows? But Paul did something that we would probably deem worse than cussing. Paul took the lives of Christians. It wasn't anything for Paul to round up a bunch of Christians. If you're not a Christian, you may not know that the, the person who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament rounded up Christians and persecuted them and had them killed. He made it his life's work. He hated the early Christian church. Now, here's why what I think happens. I think people hear me say that, and, and you know, they think they put that in a category that says, well, you know, that happened centuries, even millennia ago. 
And, you know, it's probably not as bad as it sounds. That happened in another place in another time, and we just kind of put that in a, that's not that big of a deal thing. No, that's a big deal, especially if you're the one that's being persecuted. If you compare that, what they did with what happens now, there's not really a lot of difference. I don't know if you know this or not, but the most persecuted group of people in the world are Christians. Every day, Christians are murdered for their faith. They bring them in, they put a gun to their head, a sword to their throat, deny Christ or we're going to kill you. And it's not an uncommon thing for someone to not relinquish their faith and then have their head cut off or to have their head blown off with a gun. That's exactly what Paul did, only the method was a little different. He would have people stoned. And I don't know quite how that worked. Um... It just sounds brutal to me. It, sounds, it just sounds garish. You know, we're going to take this group of people and equip them with rocks. We're going to strip this person pretty much naked. And everybody's going to line up and they're all going to start throwing rocks at them. And I can't imagine dying that way. How long would it take? How painful would that be? And that's what Paul made happen. That was the Apostle Paul. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. Can you imagine sitting down with the Apostle Paul and letting him explain to you how he was converted? I was a guy who killed them, he would say. I hated them. I hated everything about them. I was on my way to see the high priest. I was breathing these murderous threats against these Christians. I hated them. Hated them all. These people of the way, these little Christs, these Jesus followers. When all of a sudden a light came out of the sky and suddenly I could not see. One moment I can see fine, the next moment this light comes out and I'm totally blind. And I heard a voice from heaven that said, Saul, why do you persecute me? I knew who it was, but I acted like I didn't and I said, who are you, Lord? This voice sent me to a man named Ananias a man who should have hated me and feared me. But instead of cursing at me, he loved me. He prayed for me. Even though I deserved nothing but his hatred, he laid his hands on me and he prayed for me. And when he did, something like scales fell from my eyes and I could see. I was blind, but now I see. And by the grace of God, that man baptized me and prophesied into my life and told me, Paul, the one who killed Christians, you are going to go and you're going to declare the gospel and the resurrection power of Jesus and you're going to defend the man that you used to persecute. I was dead. I was the worst of the worst. I was brutal, a filthy sinner. But God who was rich in mercy, you were but God. That's exactly how he describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together. When did he do that? He did that when Jesus rose from the dead. He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him 
in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When did he do it? When he raised Christ from the dead. In the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament, we read about how for, for years and years the Hebrew people would remember this thing. They would celebrate this thing called Passover. And the very first Passover, God was going to wipe out the firstborn of, of everything. And he told the Hebrew people, who were still captives in, e in Egypt, he said, I want you to slaughter an innocent ewe lamb. I want you to take the blood from that lamb, and I want you to smear it on the doorpost and the frames of your house. And tonight, in that very first Passover, tonight when the angel of death passes over, which is where it comes from, if there is blood on your doorpost, the angel of death will pass over your house. And sure enough, the angel of death visited that camp that night and every house that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost was spared. If you did not have the blood of the, door, the, the lamb on the doorpost, the firstborn was taken. And that was a temporary sacrifice. So for years and years, every year, when it came time for the Passover, the, the, the Hebrew people would slaughter a, an innocent ewe lamb. They would take the blood of that lamb and smear it on their doorpost as a reminder of what happened in that first Passover. Fast forward to the Christian Bible, the New Testament, you come to Jesus and you come to what is my favorite passage in all of Scripture, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He was the Lamb of God, perfect, slain for the forgiveness of sin. And as Jesus hung on the cross, suffering brutally, creation mocked by the Creator, or the, the Creator mocked by His creation, a crown of thorns on His head, nails in His hands, nails in His feet. Jesus cries out, Please, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they do. But God, who was rich in mercy, who loved us so much, and Jesus looked to the heavens and he declared, Tetelestai, which is, it is finished. It was done. The work he had come to do was done. He breathed his last and he gave his life because greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And at that moment, the earth went dark and the earth shook. The disciples were shaken Wondering to themselves, what's going on? Day one, day two, day three. And on Sunday morning, the women go to the tomb to, to dress the body of Jesus, prepare it, for, prepare it for burial. And the women go to the tomb and they discover that the stone has been rolled away. There is an angel there who says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is raised just as he said. But God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much, who forgave our sins and changed our life when he was raised from the dead. Did an amazing work. You were, but God, by grace. Very high on my list of favorite verses. I just gave you my favorite. Probably my second favorite verse comes out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, which is the text for this morning. Very famous. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
It is by grace. You were, but God, by grace. They caught a woman in the act of adultery. And they brought her naked to Jesus. It's always interesting to me. She was caught in the act, which means there had to be someone else with her, but mysteriously, he doesn't show up. It's just her. You wonder who he was. It's purely speculation on my part, but I wonder if he wasn't fairly high-placed. I wonder if he wasn't if this woman wasn't set up to begin with. They bring this woman to Jesus. She's naked, ashamed. She's brought into a very public place in front of this holy man by these other holy men. And they stand her up and they say, Rabbi, we we caught her in the very act. And the scriptures say that she should be stoned. Now what's going on here is They're trying to trick Jesus, because if Jesus says stone her, then he goes against all of this love that he's been preaching, right? He's pretty much going against a lot of the stuff he's been teaching. If he says let her go, then he looks like he's soft on sin, and and what kind of of rabbi would, would do that? They're trying to trick Jesus. And that's where Jesus looks at these men, and he says this statement that you've heard, and and we, we all know it. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then we're told that he kneels down and he begins to write in the sand. And there's a lot of conjecture about what Jesus wrote in the sand. I've heard all kinds of things. You, you get commentaries out, they've got all kinds of possibilities. One guy said that, that uh, he was writing all of the sins of these holy men in the sand. I heard it suggested by one guy one time that he was, Jesus was writing the names of their girlfriends in the sand. Whatever he wrote was enough, starting with the oldest down to the youngest, for these men to drop their rocks and to one by one walk away. And Jesus straightened up. And he looked this woman in the eye. And he said, is there no one here to condemn you? No, sir. No one here to condemn me. Now, a lot of times when I tell this story, I will stop right there and wait for the people who have been Christians for a long time to remind me that there's more to the story. Because some people love the, the ending of the story. Because the ending is Jesus says something else, right? You know he says something else. Here's the thing. You can tell a lot about a Christian by the way they tell this story. You can tell a lot about how a Christian looks at sinners and how a Christian looks at Jesus by the way they finish this last line of the story. The way I see Jesus finishing this thought and this story, I see Jesus looking at this woman and saying, neither do I condemn you. Now don't do that anymore. That's not good for you. That's not what you want. That's not fulfilling. That's not going to be the change in your life that you're looking for. I know you thought it was, but it's not. Don't do that anymore. We were, but God, by grace. Two brothers, an older and a younger. Younger brother goes to his dad, hey, can I have my inheritance now? He takes the 
the inheritance, you know the story, goes off to a foreign land, squanders it all, hits rock bottom, eventually comes to the place where he finds enough humility and courage to make his way back. Jesus tells this beautiful, one of my favorite stories in all Scripture. And I love that part in the story where Jesus is describing the Father because the Father in the story represents God. And while he says, while the Father... While the son was still a long way off, the father saw him, which tells me he was looking for him. He hadn't given up on him. He'd never stopped being a son. In the eyes of the son, he didn't think he was a son anymore. In the eyes of the father, he was still a son. Bring the ring. Kill the fatted calf. Bring the robe. Put it on him. My son who was lost has come home. You were. But God, by grace, two criminals on a cross next to Jesus. Vile, despicable acts that have landed them in this place on this cross. One is hurling insults at Jesus one after another. Vile, despicable words. The things this man has done, we wouldn't even want to talk about probably. On the other side is a man who's just as guilty as this guy, but his tone is different. He's, he's talking to this man and he's saying, do you not even realize who this is? Do you understand we deserve what we're getting? He doesn't deserve this. And he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me. Now you've got to understand, there's nothing this guy can do from the cross. He can't go, do, he can't go walk little old ladies across the street. He can't, he can't do anything to save himself. And I would just put in parentheses right here, and neither can you. And he says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You were, but God, by grace. If you're here and you still have not committed your life to Christ, I want you to know that today can be your day. Today can be your by grace moment. He hung on a cross, forgave you, died for you, rose to prove to you that he is the savior of the world and you may be here this morning and you don't say it out loud to anybody because we don't these are conversations we don't have with anybody else but you go through your life and you think to yourself man there's something missing there's something missing it's just not right something's missing what's missing i want more there's something that I don't have. I don't quite know what it is. I keep looking for it. I've bought new cars. I've bought houses. I've taken vacations. None of that seems to work. Something's missing. I want more. I'm here to tell you, you are one name and one prayer from finding the thing that's missing. And his name is Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, Brett, I'm just not that bad. No, 
You are. You really are. I tell people all the time, you're not a good person who occasionally gets it wrong. You're a bad person who sometimes gets it right. And people want to push back on that. No, Brett, I'm not a bad person who who sometimes gets it right. I'm a good person who occasionally gets it wrong. Here's my question, simple question. If that's true, if you're a good person who sometimes gets it wrong, why can't you be good all the time? Because you can't. You can't. None of us can. We are sinners. You were. And then the next step is, but God. And many of you have taken that step and come to the part that's beautiful. By grace. Saved. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Today could be your day. If that's true, if that's something you want, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Let me help you. Let me pray over us before we leave this morning. Father, there are people in the room who have never given their life to you. And I would do just about anything to make that happen. But Father, it's not up to me. It's up to them. They have to humble themselves. They have to decide that they need you. And I pray, Father, that you would imprint that need that they have for you on their heart so that they would respond to it. Don't let them go one more day. Father, for the rest of us who are believers, we understand this amazing grace and we understand that it is all because of Jesus. That we are not good, we are sinners, and we need him. And we need him every hour of every day. Thank you, Father, for being willing to send your son to a cross for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.